0: My name is Will, and I'm one of the pastors here at Grace. And we're so glad that all of you are here, whether you attended a Summer Quest, served at a Summer Quest. We're glad that we can all get together on this Sunday and just be together and share uh, all the joy that is our kids learning about Jesus. That's such a wonderful thing. Uh, so I've been here almost a year. It's getting close to a year. Got to work with Jack for a year, but it's such an awesome thing that Jack has been with you guys and you've been with him for five years. And it's his birthday today, so you should give him high fives and hugs and whatever would embarrass him. Just please do that after the service. And you can get to dunk all of us later, that's right. So if you didn't like the sermon, come dunk me. It'll be great. It'll be great. So today we're talking about a part of the Bible that Peter wrote. And Peter is kind of this famous character in the story of Christianity, uh, he's known as being really brash, really outspoken, really, I'll just dive right in. I'll do whatever. Uh, Peter's also famous for his rejection of Jesus. Uh, if you there's a story, uh, Peter, Jesus is like, I'm going to die. Peter's like, it doesn't matter what happens to you. I'm going to go with you to the end. I'm going to follow you to the end. It doesn't matter how hard it gets. And Jesus says, well, actually, Peter, you're going to de- deny me three times before the morning. Peter says, no, that'll never happen. Sure enough, Jesus gets arrested. He's on trial uh, late in the night. And Peter, uh, three times, someone walks up to him, says, aren't you with that Jesus guy? And he's like, nope, not me. That, who, that, that guy over there. Three times he denies Jesus. He has this epic fall, one of the greatest rejections of Jesus. And Jesus let, later gathers him back up and uh, encourages him when Jesus comes back to life. And uh, he ends up establishing his church on Peter as the foundation, as the rock of his church. So Peter's name means rock; that's where he gets that name. Um, and we're going to be talking about part of part of one of the letters that Peter wrote. So Peter he writes the letter of First Peter. Evidently, it was the first one, and he writes it to five different churches. That names it, but it traveled all around Asia Minor, and he wrote it to these churches who were struggling. Now, they weren't struggling because financial times were hard or they weren't getting people to show up. They were struggling because of persecution. And the persecution was actually about to get way worse. So Peter writes them this letter. He's in Rome. He writes them this letter to encourage them and strengthen them. Uh, these people were living in a hostile political climate. I think we can all identify with that. Uh, the people that, they, that lived around them did not like followers of Jesus. Jesus. And that was really the dividing factor. It wasn't the business they were in. It wasn't how they dressed or how they acted or what language they spoke. The real dividing factor was whether or not Jesus was accepted or rejected by this group of people. It's right here in our text. Uh, 1 Peter 2, 4-5 says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices accepted to God through Jesus Christ. You might notice we're taking a pretty small chunk of scripture today. And that's because in a little bit, the smell of hamburgers and hot dogs is going to start wafting into this building. And you're all going to be thinking about that. So we're just going to dive into a small chunk of scripture. But the second reason we're picking a small one is because the imagery that Peter invokes is really deep and really rich. Um, It would have spoken to Jews, uh, who knew the history of God's work with Israel would have spoken to them all this imagery of of a stone of living stones? They would have thought of Exodus 20, Isaiah 8, Isaiah 9, Isaiah 28, Psalm 118. They would have thought of all these passages that they knew that used the same kind of language. Also, stones being kind of the most common building material in their area uh, in that time. Uh, Anyone who had a house, who had built something, they would all kind of understand this imagery. Uh, Or maybe even if they had no connection to the history of Israel, or if they had no connection to to building, Peter was going to paint a new picture for them. I've wondered even if like Peter, you know, his name means rock, and maybe he had this little package sermon where he's like, kind of like people always say of me, they always say, well, where there's a will, there's a way. And I'm like, well, I guess I'm here, so there's a way. But I wonder if Peter kind of stood up and he'd say, well, guys, my name is Rock, and uh, let me tell you about rocks. And uh, this might have been a little funny play on his name. But anyways, Peter jumps in uh, to talk about these living stones. You know, in SummerQuest, you guys talked a lot about God being a superhero. And he creates the world, makes it great. Then evil comes into it, and God decides to fight and battle evil, to fight for us, to fight on our behalf. He fights sin, he fights Satan, he fights death. Uh, but in this, in this passage from 1 Peter, we see that God's not just a superhero, he's also a builder. So the first part of our Summer Quest lesson was talking about God as creating the world. He made that, and then, then of course, sin entered in. But God, do you guys remember what God did after he created the world, he created man, he created animals, he created all that. What did God do right after that? Somebody's got to say it louder. He rested. That's right. So God rested. Okay. God rested, but what did he do after that? We all know he rested, but what did he do after that? Well, on the eighth day, he got right back to work. God, since then, has been working in this world. He's been shaping the mountains shaping the canyons, moving the rivers and the riverbeds. He's been working on this world. But most importantly, his most important work is he's been working on us, his people. From the beginning of man, he's been working on redeeming us, saving us, changing us, making us more like him. And uh, we are his most precious creation. And so he's been working hardest on us. God wants nothing more than for us to live with him forever. To do that, the most important thing is not how impressive you are, Or what you do is, it's what you do with Jesus. Do you accept him or do you reject him? So who knows what animal people who follow Jesus are compared to? Sheep, that's right. Sheep are dumb as a box of rocks and they are great at finding creative ways of dying. Okay, and the imagery, I'm just going to leave that aside. What do you know about the animal that is compared to people who reject Jesus? Goats, that's right. Now, a lot of people think goats are dumb because goats will chew on a can or something like that. Goats are actually not dumb. They're actually too smart for their own good. So uh, who knows, maybe, does anyone know? This is a really tricky one, and no one ever gets this right. But does anyone know how to tell the difference between a goat and a sheep from a long distance away? She knew. All right, so from a long distance away, if you see an animal about the size of a sheep, because some goats have have hair that is like wool, and some sheep have wool that is like hair. That's not always the great way to tell, but if you look at an animal about the size of a sheep or a goat from a long distance, and you see the tail pointed down, that's a sheep. And if you see the tail pointed up, that's a goat, all right? And uh, goats are famous for getting into trouble, for doing all these things. Now, one of the reasons they'll eat trash is because goats actually have this amazing ability with their lips to kind of work around things and get the nutrients so they can eat around a thorn on a thorn bush where most animals would just stay away from it they can eat around that thorn bush and get to the good stuff get to the nutrients they're famous for chewing on cans but the reason they would do that is because the glue that used to be made a long time ago was made from natural products and they could get the nutrients out of that by chewing the label off and getting the glue pretty amazing i was reading uh, i love i get called Willopedia, not wikipedia sometimes i love useless facts And uh, one that I read was about how all the suburbs and neighborhoods in Chicago got their names. One of them is called Bucktown, and evidently it got that uh, name because every house had a goat in the front. And they had goats for so long, everybody had one that it got labeled Bucktown. And if you think about a goat in the city, what else are they going to eat? But cans or whatever's laying around? Anyways, goats get a bad rap. But to stay more true to the picture uh, Peter's trying to give us, we are not building blocks. I want you to notice that when he talks about us, he talks about us as living stones, not as building blocks. Now on on this picture you see here, these are very nice carved cut stones that fit all very well together. There's some bigger ones, some smaller ones, but they are all made for that wall. They're purpose-built for that wall. And on the left, you have the wall that is just packed together with stones, look like they might've been taken out of a river or something, but all just stones, just haphazardly tucked together. But because they're tucked together in such a great way, they stand together uh, in a wall. So building blocks are much easier to build with, but that was not God's plan for us to be building blocks. He doesn't want us all cut and shaped and molded. In fact, we see this in uh, you know, Moses, he was this leader of Israel. He led them out of slavery. He was chosen by God to receive God's law, on how God wanted us to live, and how uh, God wanted us to worship him. And he re- the, the kind of most central passage in the Bible where that happens is Exodus 20. It's where we get the Ten Commandments from. But in Exodus 20, 25, he says, If you make, if you make an altar of stones for me, do not build it with dressed or cut stones, for you will defile it if you use a tool on it. And the reason he doesn't want us to build altars with cut stones is because then we could claim some work in his worship. We could, com- we could like the, the Tower of Babel, there's this old story. Men, they cut stones, they built this super tall tower. They wanted to rise to the level of God. God was not happy with that. He destroyed their tower. Uh, also, or what about the pyramids? The pyramids are these amazing structures built of these huge cut stones and they're so accurate and so cut so square and per- and perfect. They're built for those pyramids. And I don't know what it would cost to build a pyramid like that today, but those are monuments to man's power and ingenuity and riches. And God is not interested in any of that. He doesn't want us to be building blocks. He doesn't want us to be all cut and shaped. He's not looking for superhumans. He's just looking for people like you and me. You know, I thought of Iron Man Maybe some of you talked about Iron Man at Summer Quest. And Iron Man is this guy, he always shows up in the perfect suit, and he always shows up with the perfect song playing in the background. Okay? You can always count on that. Or Captain America, he shows up and he punches and beats all the bad guys, and he wins the fight, sometimes all by himself. In the end, he's just standing there with his chiseled jaw, with the flag waving in the back. It's just the perfect picture. But God knows that's not who we are, and that's not what God wants. God doesn't want us to fit this mold of perfection. He wants us just like we are. In fact, he wants people just like Jesus. So Jack read Psalm 118 earlier, and Psalm 118 says that Jesus was the stone that the builders rejected, but he has become the cornerstone. So you and I, we may not be perfectly shaped, we may not be perfect, we may not be exactly what the world wants of us, but we are who God made us to be. God wants stones just like Jesus as the cornerstone. He's then the model for anything else built on him. And Jesus didn't come as everyone expected. Though he was perfect, he never sinned, he never did anything wrong, he was also humble, and that humility looked like weakness to all the people around when he came. It looked like weakness. They wanted someone cut to fit their mold, and Jesus just refused to do it. So he ended up being a stumbling block to them. If you read on in 1 Peter, after the verses we looked at, you'll see Peter quotes Isaiah 8, he quotes Isaiah 9, and talks about how God would send the Messiah, how God would send Jesus, and people would just not get it. They just wouldn't. They were always looking for something different than than what Jesus was. Jesus, he's the prototype living stone. I mean, he died and came back to life. He is living. We know that he's a living stone. Um, This idea of living stone is not something we talk about a lot, but wood. with wood, it's really easy to understand. With a branch of a tree or the trunk of a tree, you cut it off and that branch is never gonna grow or change or get any bigger ever again. Once it's cut off, it's done. You might build it into a two by four. That two by four might go into a house. You might remodel that house, pull that two by four out. Maybe you cut it up and use it for something else, but ultimately it's just gonna get smaller and smaller and smaller until maybe you just use it for kindling in your fire. Well, stone is very much the same. Once, once you cut a stone, it's no longer living. It's considered dead. It's cut because it's set to a mold. It's set to a shape. You might be able to cut it again and make it smaller or take that out of a wall and fit it into another wall that it maybe fits in. But once you've cut it, its course is set. It's made what it's, it's, it's kind of done. God is not looking for building blocks. He's not looking for building blocks because we are building rocks. In this rich imagery Peter uses, uh, we see that he wants rocks or living stones, not shaped by the skill or might of man, rather made and chosen by God. The idea of a living stone is that it is what it was made to be through the long forces of time, water, weather. Uh, It's then chosen and chosen as precious. It's above the skill of any workman. Much like David, he just he bends down into the creek uh, when he's going to fight Goliath and picks up five stones. Uh, much like uh, when the children of Israel cross the River Jordan, they set up a monument to God's faithfulness. They call it an Ebenezer. It's just an old word that means these are rocks that help us remember. And they just picked stones from the river and stacked them on top of each other. This idea is that the stones are made and prepared for that time and that season, and then they're chosen. So the choosing, uh, that we're, we're not focusing on the choosing and how things are chosen. There's a lot of undertones uh, with the word chosen, and we're not going to jump into that. that. The idea of, in this passage is that you were chosen because of your preciousness. The mechanics of how God picked you are not Peter's concern. And the, even the decision of which stones God picks for his spiritual house is not what he's talking about. This, this letter is sent to Christians who were uh, already followers of Jesus, who were in fellowship with him. And it's not to explain to them their choosing. It's meant to comfort them, to give them comfort. They were, they were being persecuted. And so Peter wrote them these words to remind them that they were precious to God. And what's precious uh, is not going to be discarded. That they would be cared for. God chooses the rocks that choose Jesus, and he is glad for them to be whatever shape or size or color that they might be. He doesn't want you to square off your edges. He needs rocks with cracks and missing sections so that he can fit them all together. And that's where, uh, that's where he'll fit the other rock in. Wherever you're missing a piece, he'll fit someone in with you. And I love reading uh, things that old dead guys wrote. Uh, because they can't say something later and get me in trouble for quoting them because they're done. They're done writing. So I'm safe to quote them. And this old guy, his name was Bernard, and he writes this, and I thought it fit really well. Which of us can live uprightly and perfectly even for one hour, an hour free of fruitless talk or careless work? And that's rhetorical. He's saying none of us can do that. Yet there is one who truthfully and unhesitatingly can glory in this praise, and she is the church, whose fullness is, never, is a never-ceasing fount of intoxicating joy, perpetually fragrant. For what she lacks in one member, she possesses in another, according to the measure of Christ's gift and the plan of the Spirit, who distributes to each one just as He chooses. And I love that it talks about how where I have something missing. One of you or many of you have have a strength or you have something to fill up that. There is uh, one kind of wall construction that happened in ancient days. There's many kinds, but one that I think really fits the picture that Peter is trying to paint the best. And it's this kind of construction where they would build an outer wall and an inner wall. And in the middle, they just piled all the chippings and rubble that they could find. The great thing about this kind of wall is it's a little cheaper to build because you don't have to build this huge wide wall out of all of one kind of stone, but it's actually much stronger too. When a big impact would hit that wall, uh, the outer wall would absorb some of it, but even those rocks might crack or break to some extent, but that inner section of rubble would absorb all that shock and then transfer it to the inside part of the wall. And it was incredibly strong, incredibly durable, and even if you started to dig out chunks of the outer wall, the, that, that rubble would just filter down and fill up that void. It was almost endless. You pretty much had to just destroy, literally remove the wall to be able to get through it. And that happened from time to time. Um, and all kinds of rocks were needed in that construction. Bigger rocks for the foundation. The rubble was just as important. And I know probably some of you and I've in my life, I felt like I've been chipped and splintered away and broken up and all I am is this little bit of rubble in the middle. But that is no less important to the wall than the, than the stones at the base or the stones on the inside or the stones at the outside. But the point Peter's trying to make is not for us to figure out what kind of rock you are. You don't need to know if you're a big rock or a little rock or rubble. You don't need to know uh, if you're granite or limestone or sandstone. But the point is just to come to God and each other with our cracks, with our weakness, and with whatever your unique shape is. So I have two stories that I'm going to tell you, and they are about how other people's unique shape has fit with me, and in some ways have not worked well for me, but it exposes my weakness. Uh, For the first one is, uh, I like to play basketball, and uh, we had this point guard, and he was about 5'5", much shorter than me. I should have been able to rebound over him easily. But every time he would get in front of me, he would use his strength, which was his hips, which ended up right about the height of my knees. And he would hit me in my knees, my weakness, right? He would fit together and I'd be going up for a rebound and he'd hit me right in the knees and then I couldn't jump anymore. And he'd just jump up, grab the rebound, run away laughing. Well, I've played basketball with my wife and she's figured out this exact same thing. All right. And so I'll be going up for a shot or something and she'll hit me right in my knees. And so what should be my strength, my height in basketball actually can be a weakness when someone short enough hits me right in the knees. All right. And the, the second story is, uh, is even funnier yet, but uh, I was in fourth grade and the pinnacle of fourth grade, the, just the, the day that you stayed in school all year to get to experience was field day. That was the pinnacle the, the epic, epic end of uh, fourth grade was field day. And we all were looking forward to it. All of us, especially as boys, I'm sure. And uh, one of the events that we all did was the three-legged race. So everyone in the class. And I had a couple of people picked out in my mind that I would partner with. I was taller than everyone. So there wasn't anyone really with my height I could find. But I thought, man, if I can pick someone fast, uh, we'll win. And sure enough, we all come to organizing ourselves and getting in our three legged race teams and I had this group of friends and a couple of my friends they grouped up and I didn't have anyone left that I wanted to group up with. People had been really smart they picked someone their same height they picked someone fast like them so they could try to win and the only guy left from my friend group was this guy named Aaron and today uh, I'm about 6'6 and he is 5'3 today. So whatever the gap was in fourth grade it was substantial. Okay. A tallest guy in the class with the shortest guy in the class. And my teacher even comes up and says to us, like, you guys can't do this. You're, it's not going to work. And we said, no, no, it's fine. We, we ended up together. It'll be great. And you know, what looked like a weakness, our extreme difference in height, ended up being a strength because I, we had to focus so hard on timing our steps together that we ended up winning the whole thing. And it was something that they would make fun of us for uh, even up till graduation, we got picked on for it. It was, it was fun. But that, that difference, that weakness that I had in, in the instance of a three-legged race was my height. And his weakness in that instance was his height, but it ended up being our strength because we focused and, and did the job. And that's what God wants to do. He wants to take us with all of our weaknesses, with all of our strengths, with all our cracks and crevices and the hard things that have happened. And he wants to take all the joy and all the credit for building his spiritual house. He doesn't want us to say, oh look, that's what I shaved off. That's the corner I cut. That's the the straight line that I made. He wants us to know that it was him that did it and that it's his work. So Paul, he writes some very similar imagery to Peter. Uh, Paul's another friend of Jesus. Um, he was actually an enemy of Jesus and then came to follow Jesus. And Paul uses the same imagery. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9, it says, but, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you and my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And he really unlocks this key for us that living stones, if we are to be put together, we have to be, share and accept our weaknesses. We have to be okay with letting our weaknesses out, and we have to be okay with the weaknesses of other people around us. We have to work on fitting together. You know, there's these old west towns that were built for movies, and on the front, it's just a facade. It's just the front of a building, and there's nothing behind there. There's no depth. And I think about the, the Marvel movies. If anybody watches those, there's this character, Loki, and he can project images of himself. And he'll be like eating grapes in one room or secretly in the back room he's like stealing your wallet or whatever he wants and uh, we can do those things we can do those things we can project those images we can project ourselves out to people as a perfectly cut square perfect building stone Uh, but in the end it's all a facade Um, there's this guy another old dead guy that i like his name is john and he writes uh john Cashin. he's an old guy and he would go around and do these interviews with church leaders in his day, like in the three or 400s. He would go to do these interviews, and he has this really powerful section that he writes, and he talks about how this young guy would overcome temptation. And when he was going through hard things or whatever, he, for a long time, just tried to work on it himself, just tried to fight and figure it out and pray, and he experienced no victory in his struggle until he simply told an older and trusted friend, what he was going through. And the simple act of telling what he was going through, inviting someone else into that, not being alone in his pain and in his struggle anymore. He was free from that temptation ever after. Whenever we share uh, what we're going through, uh, that darkness, that struggle, it loses its power. I always give this people, people this disclaimer when talking about telling each other the dark parts of our lives. You do not have to tell everyone everything about yourself, but someone at some point should know everything. You should invite someone into your life, into what God's doing into your life, what your struggles are. Someone you should let first God in, you should trust him with what you're going through, and then the others around you. So we are building rocks. And the emphasis is that we are not blocks, but we are rocks. But there's also an emphasis on the we, that we are doing this together. None of us can hold ourselves up. It takes all of us, all believers through all time to be built up together into God's spiritual house. God is the builder, but we are his building material. Not just you, not me, but we together. When we accept Jesus and then allow ourselves to be built with him, we join in the work that God is doing. So as I mentioned before, Paul uses some of this same imagery that Peter does. And in one, he spends a whole chapter on it at one point and it's 1 Corinthians 3, And I'm just going to read a few verses of that to you. It says in verse 11, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Verse 16 says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? And then verse 21 through 23, he really hits us right where we're at. He says, so then no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos, and he actually then mentions Peter or Peter, or the word or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are of Christ and Christ is of God. Paul catches them in this thing that they were doing where they were saying, I learned from this guy, I learned from that guy, talking about you and me. But what he wants us to think about is he highlights the fact that we together are Christ's human leaders or even church leaders, influencers that you follow, even wisdom of the world that seems to work, all, none of those things are a good foundation. We who have believed in Jesus are living stones being built into one house and to build on anything else is foolish. And this brings us to the last, but the best part of Peter's analogy. So he said that we're not blocks, we're rocks, we're living stones, and that we are precious. Uh, We've heard that, uh, more than once in our study, but because Jesus is precious, so are we if we are built up with him. So my kids thinks that all rocks in the world, I think, are special. Uh, we, every single walk we've probably ever gone on, we come home with at least two or three rocks, sometimes a whole handful. Uh, when In Michigan, it was great because Michigan is kind of like glacial till and there's all these wonderful granite rocks and really cool stuff. In Kansas, though, it's like, a limestone walking path and somehow still they will find like one limestone white rock that's just like all the thousands of others that's special all right every time they both have stashes of rocks in our house it's it's a wonder that our house isn't just pure gravel even this week Izzy gave me like these seven rocks that are incredibly special to her and so I've kept them in my pocket all week because I've been working on this and it fits so well um they uh These rocks are so special, and if my kids can even find special rocks in the Kansas wasteland of dirt and rocks that are all the same, how much more does God think about you as special? Someone that he created, someone that he made, he gave you the life experiences that he gave you, he's taken you through the trials he's taken you through. You are much more precious to him. Psalm 139 says, for you, meaning God, formed my inward parts you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are my, your works. My soul, soul knows it very well. So I took the rocks that Izzy gave me and I tried to build something. And it was not very precious. There it is on the left. I could stack a few of these rocks, it was pretty bad. I have this much cooler sign in my office. And it's something that my wife and kids made for me. And it says, my dad rocks. And then there's like an outline of me made with rocks, an outline of Izzy, an outline of Malachi. And I love it. It's very special to me. Uh, some of the rocks have fallen off and I don't care. They're still special, still precious. God, he knows you. He knows all your nooks, all your crannies, and all your weaknesses. He loves you and considers you precious. If you have never trusted Christ, that cornerstone that divides men and women, God's ask is just that you would allow yourselves to be built together, that you would trust him, that you would trust his death, his burial, his resurrection to forgive you of your sins, and that you would, you would take joy in living with him forever. He wants you to be built up together through honesty, through community, through living with one another. He wants you to be built up with Jesus. So after the service, we'll have a time to come up uh, Feel free to share with a pastor or an elder anything you might be going through, any decision you might want to make. You are so precious to him, and he wants you a part of his house. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for being gracious with us, with our weaknesses. Thank you for inviting us to bring our weaknesses to you. We think we can hide them so much, but we can't. They are plain for everyone to see. So God, I just pray that you would be with each one of us today as we go out of our day. Help us to have fun and celebrate all the good things you did for SummerQuest out at SummerFest today. God, we pray that you would be with the weather and hold the rain off so that we can have a good, fun afternoon together. God, we thank you for bringing each person here today. Thank you for caring about one of each one of us, knowing our shape, and finding a place to fit us in to what you're doing. We love you and thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Well, thanks for sharing this morning. Appreciate you, brother. So I'm going to do the sending today because it'll be uh, many weeks before you see me again, and uh, I <laughs> love <laughs> the idea that we are. Hey, you're Iceland. Yay. We are. We are sent people. We are a sent people. This is uh, we've we mentioned before. This is the huddle. The game is out there. Uh, we're going to go and be God's witnesses. Will you stand with me? And actually, will you read this with me? Let's read our sending together. We have been motivated by the love God has shown us in Christ. We have been united in our worship of the living God together. We have been encouraged by our fellowship with one another. And we have been equipped by the preaching of God's word. Now we go in the power of the Holy Spirit. In all that we do, we will love God boldly. In whatever family, neighborhood, workplace, or school God has placed us, we will love people sacrificially. In whatever stage of life we find ourselves, we will look for opportunities to faithfully lead others to do the same. We are the church. Now let's go be the church. Grace, we are sent.